Today on the Toppy Show, Disney CEO hosts a emergency meeting. She-Hulk writer looks even more foolish than usual. California kneecaps Uber. U.S. government says they will stop robot spam calls. Land Rover Jaguar Group to make batteries in England. Netflix adds even more users, even with their password sharing crackdown. Carvana stock skyrockets. Activision gives Microsoft a little bit more time for the merger. And McDonald's has to pay someone $800,000 for hot chicken nuggets. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added resource services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, see their founder release twice a day. God say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner and need a little assistance, you reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Jaguar Range Rover Group to open up a battery plant in England. Now, granted, pretty much like every EV technology or initiative, this is only conceivably possible because of government subsidiary, uh, subsidies. Sounds familiar since Ford just got, I believe, a nine or ten billion dollar, even more than that, maybe trillion, loan from the U.S. government so that they can have three new manufacturer plants in the United States for EV batteries as well. So it's by no means exclusive to just Jaguar Range Rover Group, which is owned now by Tata over in India, Tata Corporation. They're a big multinational company, but those companies are still independently. They're headquartered in England, so people still think they're British engineering. A debate to have another time, perhaps. Now, their goal is actually to have the plant to the point where it could potentially produce about half of EV batteries needed in Britain by 2030. Granted, where does lithium come from? Yeah, not Britain, so it'll be made, it'll be assembled there, not made there. A little delineation. In the United States, it has to be at least 70 to 75% of the materials or components of a product have to be. U.S. made, as well as assembled in the U.S., to actually have something called made in the U.S.A., which is why you see all BS advertising when you go to, like, a home improvement store, such as Home Depot, or you'll see a tool, say, made in the U.S.A. with global components, which, in my opinion, is a BS delineation because it's confusing to the end consumer because it says made in the U.S.A., but no, 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 it should say assembled in the U.S.A. with global components. But I digress. That's another classification for another time. But it'll be interesting to see as those luxury brands start to try to transition to EVs. Does anyone really want a Land Rover without the V8? Eh. Time shall tell, but they're going to roll the dice. And perhaps there are some people who do want that. Because Land Rovers are very reliable pieces of machinery. They never have any issues now. So introducing more mechanisms and more technologies into it will surely make them even uh, more uh, mechanically sound. That's a joke because most of the time they're not in your driveway. They're usually in a mechanic's garage gathering dust and being repaired for a myriad of reasons. They are usually at the bottom of reliability, but they look cool. So, you know, people like to spend a quarter million dollars on them to each their own. And they also only have two pedals. So to me, that's like three, three strikes. I wouldn't buy one. But that's just that's just me. Now, other interesting business news. You have Activision agreeing to give Microsoft three more months to finalize their planned 69 billion dollar merger now the agreement was made made the push as they're supposed to close july 18th all the way now is going to be closing having their deadline on october 18th and 
kind of as a condition, makes sense. They also increase the price of a breakup fee so that if Microsoft decides at the last minute they no longer want to go through with the merger and the buyout, that fee has gone up from, and I apologize, look at my notes here, it went up from 3 billion to 3.5 billion. And then I believe after September, it'll be to 4.5 billion. So the penalties are getting exponentially increased. And it'll be interesting to see which governments are gonna strike this down. Because it's a global company and obviously their biggest hit that everyone really knows for is World of Warcraft for Activision, Blizzard. Well, Activision is two companies that have combined. Blizzard was the big business success that actually developed that perhaps the most revolutionary or well-known, highly adapted role-playing game with the orcs and the monsters. And Activision was best known for Call of Duty. So two extremely successful online role-playing games with billions of dollars in microtransactions coming together and now they're trying to join Microsoft. And there's already rumors of other countries, especially in Europe, where they're worried about the anti-competitive anti laws where Microsoft is already one of the largest companies on the planet and Microsoft is the owner of the Xbox platform. They invented it back in the day and they still have it to this day as well. And they're about to buy the largest, one of the largest well-known publishers of video games ever. So there's a, lot of there's a lot of speculation on will it actually go through? It'll be interesting to see, do they finalize the ink on that paper? But I always say time shall tell. Other interesting businesses, you have Netflix adding six million users in fiscal Q2 which I know mass scores in the United States are at all time low. So I'll clarify a quarter is one fourth. Think of like when you get a quarter, I guess people don't get changed these days, but back in the day you just get change from a dollar and dollars made of four quarters, hence quarter. Now fiscal quarter, it's gonna be one fourth of the calendar year. The calendar year is 12 months. A little math that helps us know that there's three months in a quarter. I've now done more than perhaps half, than a fair amount of public schools in the United States. Not to brag, but we, I guess someone would say there's a little education here. Now, in all seriousness, go back to Netflix. It appears that they added nearly, nearly 6 million paid subscribers during the three months ending June specifically. So that's gonna be the fiscal Q2 or the calendar year Q2 for most companies, well, all companies. And it looks like that brings their total up to 238 million paid subscribers, which is astonishing how many people are paying for Netflix when again, it's 40 year hyperinflation, people are uncertain about the job market, but people keep paying for that type of entertainment, which is ridiculous. You can watch the topping show for free. In fact, you didn't have to pay us. Just give us a like, subscribe, or comment. That's great. I mean, that makes me smile. That's worth a million dollars, some might say. Few, but some might say. Now, the company recently launched their paid sharing plan, which I believe is probably the biggest driver behind this as they rolled out that plan to about 100 countries. So Netflix back in the day, like every tech company, traditionally, they didn't care necessarily how many people were sharing the account because Wall Street and all the companies, when they're looking at tech startups, it's all about the user and, user and the adaptation rate. How many active users do they have on the platform? You saw this the same thing with Facebook, Threads, Twitter, all these platforms, they want the highest number of users. Then after a couple of years, Wall Street and the investors, they start to wonder, okay, You've built out this great thing. How many are actually paying for the service? How do we get a long-term ROI, AKA a return on investment from this technology, from the stock, from this platform, what, whatever term you prefer to use. And that number, 
now that they want to know the page, then they started to crack down on the password sharing. But Netflix was, I thought it was a mistake at the time, but it turns out to be a little bit of business brilliance. Instead of kicking someone off a plan, so they have it right now, in fact, that you have Netflix, your main account at your home, and back in the day, you could share it with a friend across the country, wherever, or if you have a, someone in the family who's traveling for work or a college kid, they could have a profile on there, no issues. Now, they will allow that only if you pay, I believe, about $8 per additional user. So it's still an overall discount compared to that person going out and buying a full-blown individual Netflix account. So because there's some of a discount, perhaps that was a big incentive people needed where they can continue using it because otherwise they would just go away. Granted, there are other resources like pirating, but we'll be interested to see does that industry pop up exponentially? There's a lot of speculation it will, but a lot of people just like convenience and swiping a credit card apparently, and they just thought this would be a great idea. So that lack of password sharing, so the password crackdown is rolled out by more than 100 uh, countries on Netflix, and is actually gotten to the point where the signups are exceeding the cancellations. So that's to be growing a company right now is pretty darn impressive, especially in streaming. Disney Plus is on track to lose $800 million this fiscal quarter. $800 million. So the streaming wars are heating up, and some are growing, some are struggling. Who will win? Time shall tell. Another issue with Netflix, you have the Hollywood writers and the actors and actresses all on strike because they kind of see the writing on the wall. AI is going to revolutionize every industry, especially entertainment. And the big negotiating point is they don't want AI in Hollywood. And the CEO of Netflix brought this up saying a big concern for their company and why they think their stock is a little volatile right now is there's a lot of uncertainty of where do they get their content from? Will it be from a computer? Will this strike just last exponentially and they won't get to work again? I mean, there's a little bit of uncertainty there. Granted, when it comes to certain movies and I would say most of Hollywood, any computer or a three-year-old could probably write a better script in terms of all you need is three or four keys. You do control, copy, control, paste. So one, two, three, four. With four keystrokes, you can actually replicate most of Hollywood content. Transformers movies. Fast cars, big explosions, someone falls in love. All right, Marvel movies. Big explosions, logos of superheroes, someone falls in love, no one ever actually dies. Copy, paste again. James Bond. British guy, cool cars, three pedals with a stick shift, of course. Got Walter PPK, attractive woman, falls in love, one of them dies, moves on. Another copy-paste. Avengers, oh, Fast and Furious, another hilariously comical movie. Fast Cars, you have to pay Vin Diesel to save family, of course. Ludacris stunts, also the actor, Ludacris. And uh, maybe one or two good songs per movie. There again, I just wrote the whole script for Fast and Furious 11, which I'm sure is on the way because somehow those keep making billions of dollars. Not metaphorically, literally. So as AI continues to grow and learn exponentially and get better and better and better, Hollywood's gonna be pretty scared because some of these movies, especially those, they almost seem designed to, for AI to take over. And when it comes to CGI and using actors' likenesses, that's going to be a forefront as well. Tom Hanks is probably the most well-known actor that I've seen who is very open to AI, saying that he will license his likeness. So even after he, after he passes or he dies, they could still make movies about him. So in terms of the main actors, he was the first one who really saw perhaps the writing on the wall and was 
interested and intrigued enough in the technology to perhaps start a licensing deal, which is pretty revolutionary for the industry. It'll be interesting to see, we do get to the point where they just scan, 3D scan an actor or an actress, they put them in the little computers and their job is done. They just come in and get scanned every couple of years or even not because computers can actually de-age and age a person with CGI and it'll be interesting to see how long do we really need actors and actresses for? Time shall tell, but that industry is surely going to have some major disruptions. And of course, it'll be interesting to see how it affects Netflix and their long-term goal of trying to grow exponentially as well. Now, other interesting business news, you have Carvana stock skyrocketing by 40%. Again, I don't know anyone who saw this coming, and it is also a great example of hindsight is always 2020, especially when it comes to investing. You really... Unless you know someone, you really never know what's going to exponentially increase or decrease in value. And there are a lot of outliers like this where everyone thought they were dead in the water. I think their stock, their stock peaked at like, I think it was $368, some astronomically high price point peak COVID, I believe, when people were paying, or actually right after COVID, when people were paying like list price plus for a vehicle. And apparently they were able to get their huge debt restructure deal done so that helped obviously make the shareholders happy shed a lot of trimmed a lot of fat and you'll really see the company said that they are now launching a paid sharing and i don't know time shall tell or actually no that's a scratch that was a i was thinking about porsche they have a paid sharing program where it's almost like a subscription for vehicles where you can actually literally rent a vehicle you have a different vehicle every month, you just have to pay a subscription. Much better cars, I, know, I guess that's a car company compared to a car selling company. But you have Carvana just skyrocketing 40%, which is ridiculously good. So apparently the agreement made with this with this shareholders means that it's eliminating more than 80% of Carvana's 2025 and 2027 quote unsecured note maturities and lower required cash interest expense by over $430 million per year for the next two years. So considering how big they're met, they, if they didn't do this, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure they're gonna be dead in the water, so to say. They were struggling for quite some time and it was a revolutionary idea, but then they all, they went out and bought cars at the highest point, then they couldn't sell them. So the fact that they're still around, I actually was, I'm pretty impressed. It'll be interesting to see where they go from there. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Disney CEO Bob Iger hosting an emergency meeting as Mickey Mouse is on life support. And they must save that rat. It's paramount. But it, um, it, it, it looks like it does have a little bit of gangrene. They, you're going to have to maybe amputate a couple of limbs. That'd get too gruesome. But yeah, thanks to their improving business decisions, many parts of Disney are rotten. Well, both morally, ethically, but... Also fiscally as well, which is what especially the stockholders and shareholders should be concerned about. Now, Disney's Bob Iger attended an exclusive offsite meeting in order to, quote, calm the high anxiety after saying that t linear TV may not be core to Disney, unquote. Now, I keep hearing this term more and more, so just because I know when I first heard it. So to define linear TV, is traditional TV you knew about back in the 80s and 90s, we actually had a physical cable and you actually have a t cable going to well, at the time, it was a good old tube TV, which was used to be bulletproof reliability. Now we have, you know, small, thin TVs that break every 18 minutes or so, it seems. But I digress. It's the traditional legacy cable TV that everyone has grown up with and also is also uh, decreasing exponentially in the user count and 
I was about to say adaptation rate, but I don't know how many people are really ordering cable new with the exception of when you have the blended packages from like AT&T and Verizon where they, they pretend it's free or they, they have a bundle where it's like, well, your phone will, your phone will miraculously cost $10 less per month if you had the cable, which they make money, a lot of money for the advertising through the cable. So there's many reasons they offset move costs around, but I don't know anyone who's actually called out the phone and go, yeah, I want, I want to get cable. I want to get cable from my house, eh? We need cable, so 1930s, or actually, bad metaphor, they didn't have uh, cable back then, but I digress, you get the idea. Should have done an accent from the 90s, but that would have been too tubular. Or radical, man. Oh, wait, but I digress. Now, apparently Bob Iger met with the senior TV leaders of the company, and keep in mind, currently, Disney owns the following television networks, including Disney Channel, which makes sense. You also have National Geographic, ABC, FX, and ESPN. And we actually reported here a couple of days ago, uh, National Geographic, they just had to lay off their final writers. So now it's all going to be independent contractors for the writers. Also Killing a Magazine, which used to be perhaps what they were most well known for, but the concept of National Geographic just kind of died with the proliferation and the mass adaptation of smartphones. And you have these, what do you call those fancy young folks who travel the world like influencers, the youngsters who travel the globe and do vlogs and they get sponsors and people pay for it. That's kind of what National Geographic was best known for, is going to those remote locations and getting those unique pictures and videos. So that particular branch, maybe that's Mickey's pinky or his middle finger, that's that's pretty gangrene. There's not, in my opinion, there's not much of a business use case to keep that particular TV station. Also, ABC, uh, I don't know what they're mostly known for these days. I haven't seen that for probably a decade and a half. FX they had one good investment in my opinion they had it's always sunny in philadelphia where that show was saved thanks fx gave them a chance when no one else would and after the first season they're about to cancel it but the president of fx apparently used to be dane devito's boss at dane devito's media company or a president at the sh at that company and he told it's always sunny hey you need to get an act you need to get a celebrity in here get you know boost the ratings so he suggested dane devito it's always sunny actually ironically originally said no then they said yes because fx said they were going to cancel the show and thanks to putting Danny Vito on the show, this It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia just exponentially increased in popularity and went viral. And to me, that's probably been the most successful program on FX the past shoot couple of decades. So there's a little bit of a gem there. Of course, you know, depending on the contracts that are written, you might be able to spin off what ownership they have or what agreement they have for the num next number of seasons with It's Always Sunny to see how that's working out. And then you have ESPN, which that's been trash, I want to say since 2008. When I say trash for ESPN, I mean, people traditionally didn't tune into sports to talk about politics. ESPN was the first one where they made the mistake of their ratings were falling and they noticed that if you talk about politics, you'd get an uptick in interest because controversy does sell. And they decided to lean, it was almost as if they were addicted to the cure and the cure ended up killing them, perhaps as an apt metaphor because they lean full into politics and then a lot of people I know who are diehard sports fans and they love talking about the sports balls and the touchdowns and the touchbacks and the three pointers and five pointers, whatever they call them. But they got pretty frustrated because they were trying to tune in to listen to ESPN about the scores of the games and they were having moronic ESPN hosts talking about anti, they were talking about everything from being anti-gun, which again, that's going to on average alienate about maybe 50% of the country. They're making a lot of statements that were political and not really about the players or the game. So it did get them an 
maybe an increased audience in a different category, but their core audience, I think, exponentially shrunk because of that. So how much of that is an asset nowadays? That's pretty debatable. Ironically, or maybe just because he, well, obviously, he, maybe Bob Iger just has some data we don't know about. Obviously, he does. But that's the one that he actually is pretty prominent on keeping. When asked for comment, he said he's pretty adamant about keeping ESPN. So it'll be interesting to see what he's, you know, what his plan is for them. But I mean, this is also after just days ago when Bob Iger said many parts of the company were for sale. They even might completely sell off the India division uh, rather than in the Disney subsidiary in India because that was the one that had the highest loss uh, globally. And their streaming service, again, Disney Plus is projected to lose $800 million this fiscal quarter. So in only three months, that's going to lose $800 million. As, it's almost as inept as the government. Uh, now, you know, left, right, whatever you want to call it, whoever's in power, the government, they're good at losing money. And to lose $800 million in three months is almost impressive amount of, net, of ineptitudes and just terrible business practices. Now, many independent analysts have said that they estimate Disney could potentially get about $8 billion if they were to sell off their TVZ assets, which given the writing on the wall for cable TV, I think would be a pretty prudent business decision, depending on how much, again, intellectual property they have on those TV stations. Usually TV stations are known for broadcasting more than creating, but you know, some do more than others. That may be a pretty prudent business decision for Disney to get a cash infusion if they have a long-term vision of making Disney Plus profitable, you can offset those losses by the sale of the TV assets. And given this media transition, I don't see cable growing in my lifetime. Um, there's, the use case is getting less and less, kind of like house phones. It used to be every house had to have a house phone. You'd be silly not to have one. Now, it's very, you have to have a very specific use case for it to really make sense. And it'll be interesting to see. And you also Disney parks have a record. The past 4th of July, which again, many people traditionally would actually go to the Disneyland to praise the mouse instead of our country. But I, I digress. I'm sure kids have fun there. But many people would celebrate 4th of July by going to Disneyland or Disney World. And it was actually reported this past 4th of July, it was one of their lowest foot traffic, aka how many people actually went to the park in the past 10 years. It was one of the lowest rates. So that's not doing good as well. The actual wait time for rides right now at Disney is less than peak. I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying the pandemic. If you say certain words, apparently your videos get blacklisted, delisted. It's a mystery of the enigma that is the algorithm. And I'm sure I'll read the fine, the small font someday on the terms and conditions. Once thanks to you, we become monetized and we also, that'll also give us resources to put in graphics and other such things to bolster the quality of the show. So I also am especially appreciative when you take the time to like, subscribe and comment because each one of those things greatly help out the channel. So with all those things going on with Mickey on the operating table, how much is Bob Iger going to have to do to chop him up to actually save the company or can he? There's a speculation that there's a rumor a couple years back that Apple might buy the media assets of Disney. Perhaps Apple, which is one of the most profitable companies on the planet and in history, they certainly have the cash to buy Disney plus and integrate it into perhaps Apple Plus, which is yet again another streaming service. But if it's losing money, how long would it take for Apple to get an ROI or a positive return on investment if they were to buy it? Their intellectual property is of course worth something, but how much is it worth? That'd be obviously a little debate and a little negotiation back and forth, I'm sure it'd be very detailed, but 
with this current model, Disney is not succeeding. Doesn't help that they're also getting more and more involved in politics, but I digress. It'll be interesting to see, can they save that little Mickey Mouse? Time shall tell. Now, going on to even more, um, I was about to say Disney, it's a nice way of saying moronic. Well, it's anyway, so we have more, more bad business decisions by Walt Disney. In this case, you have the She-Hulk writer looking more foolish than usual, which is quite an accomplishment, now that I think about it. Now, this particular Hollywood writer who, for some reason, didn't want to censor his name, he actually, he proudly put his name, wrote episodes for the show, She-Hulk. Now, that writer's by the name of Cody Ziegler, and he was crying, I mean complaining, because he only, quote-unquote, got a royalty check for $396 for a She-Hulk script, which I would debate is $396 too much, given the content that is the scripts for She-Hulk. Now, let's do a little summary of what is She-Hulk. Many, I'm sure, given their marketing and quality of materials, many, you might not have even heard of it, yet alone take the time to re actually watch it. Now, I wouldn't recommend it because your eyes might bleed or your ears might bleed, but just to be safe, I listened to some summaries for you so you do not have to suffer as much. Some would say I'm a generous man. Some. Now, apparently She-Hulk is a lawyer. Because kids love shows about lawyers. Yeah, that, that, that checks out. Now, She-Hulk is a lawyer and Bruce Banner's cousin, which Bruce Banner is the original Hulk. And she got her Hulk powers because apparently they got in a car wreck. He bled and some, some of his Hulk magical blood got onto her. And she became a She-Hulk. Um, powered by feminism and ignorance and the whole show she basically just makes fun of him and you i already described this scenario and again we talked about ai in hollywood in earlier segments of the show you're gonna see perhaps another iteration of why ai is going to destroy those moronic jobs now i say moronic because these scripts are especially pejor simplistic pejorative and just anyone could probably do it now this is one of those things where as soon as she got the magical Hulk blood in her, she became a She-Hulk, and without any training, she could control her powers perfectly because of feminism. Hmm. And then she goes up against Bruce Banner, and Bruce Banner took years of meditation and therapy and working at controlling the monster within that kept him from going from Bruce Banner to the Hulk. It took him years of training, and it took her no time at all. It might be reminiscent of Star Trek when you have Rey. She went up against, I believe, Kylo Ren, Ren the uh, pretty boy with the long hair. Perfect hair, you don't have to take the helmet off. I need to ask him for tips. But she went up against him, who he spent his whole life training to be a Jedi, Darth Vader type guy. And she beat him in a fight because she had two minutes of training. Because the power and magic of feminism, apparently. I'm kidding, I know it was Star Wars, it wasn't Star Trek. It was a star thing, but again, it kind of disrespectful to the whole concepts. If you if you really believe in the Star Wars theme of the Jedi, and in this case, the Hulk theme of the anger overpowering you, it's supposed to be, some might say, the traditional debate of the balance of good versus evil and the struggle. And they just magically just handled it perfectly. And it got even more comical. She even actually went on to explain that she can control it because... She's been catcalled and mansplained her whole life, and she's had to control anger her whole life. And if you dare, if you dare, dare not believe her, or if you dare disrespect the script or the show, talk anything, if you even deviate from believing that message, you are a sexist. 
or you're just a true Marvel fan or someone who knows that in the inconsistencies in all these scripts. But society will surely label you one way or another. Me, I'm a capitalist, so I really don't care what, who is doing a role or what they're doing, but if you make good quality content and they're not just, a la not just lazily copy-pasting, I usually don't have a problem. Also, this is also alienating half your audience, because, but that's their business decision. And of course, cap from a capitalism perspective, it's not very fruitful because of course they're not making much money at all of these. Now, the show gets even more pathetic from there and you won't suffer too much more from this backstory. Now, it goes on where she can actually, she, she doesn't really fight crime either. The main show is her being a lawyer, which I, I don't know who wants to see a superhero be a lawyer. And apparently she might work in superhero lawsuits, which is the most boring part of any superhero movie I could think of. Now, when I watch super, my version of superhero movies would be like something like The Founder with Ray Kroc, where he founded McDonald's, or you could debate on him growing the company versus starting the company. I would love to have debate. That debate is fascinating in and of itself. But when it comes to made-up superheroes, it's one of those things where I, I don't know a single person or a Marvel fan who goes, you know what? I'd love to see them in a courtroom talking about legal theory and practicing law. Ridiculous. Although, in the name of empowerment, she does twerk on the TV, or in this case on the streaming platform, with someone known as Megan, Megan the Stallion, which she's not a horse. Her face might... Maybe? No, she's not a horse. And she's a rapper who talks, of course, I would argue is very sexist um, content with the types of songs she puts out, but some say it's just empowerment. And of course, She-Hulk also breaks the fourth wall, which is kind of... It happened in the comments, apparently. Someone noted that a little while back, but it comes off as just a copy-paste because the main property that Marvel made that really broke the fourth wall or the third wall, whatever wall you're trying to break, that that's going to be Dare... Oh, not Daredevil. It's close, but that would actually be... What does that pretty boy do? Ryan Reynolds. What is it? Deadpool. Close enough. That... That... It's already been done, and of course, many people, he, he argued, he does it quite well, and the fans really appreciate that part of the show. In this part of the show, it actually is, is even more ridiculous. Apparently, She-Hulk goes into the Disney Plus menu and goes into the Marvel offices and finds out, somewhat hilarious, that the ro apparently who writes the scripts is just a moronic robot that's controlled by algorithms and literally just writes whatever's going to be the most viral. So at least... The joke is kind of maybe Disney is self-aware at the crap they put out, where it's really just, you know, copy, paste, make viral moment. But, and she, it, it's just one of those things where it's, I don't know who enjoyed that episode. Now, the cost to produce this was $25 million per episode. Now, one of the things I have a disdain for is, you know, charlatans, two-faced people, and being unethical, obfuscating the truth. Now, Cody says he only got $396 in royalties, and I looked at multiple articles that covered the subject. He, he also got paid an undisclosed amount per script, also known as perhaps a base salary, or, or if he's an independent contractor, he got paid a lump sum in addition to the royalties. He's not saying how much he made for the actual script. The royalties, think of it as a bonus, depending on how many people tune into the show, which that actually seems a little bit... For how many people probably tuned in to see it, $396 actually seems pretty generous given the audience that's watching the show or the actor of. That 
even if they got paid a dollar per person, that's that's a lot of money. That's 396 people tuned in. I'd be pretty impressed. He should be very proud of that. But it's one of those situations where you don't know. He might have gotten him $2 million for that script. Marvel would probably be drunk to give him that much money for the script, but that's per episode. We don't know how much he's making. He's complaining about the residuals. And there is an issue of, they call it Hollywood accounting, which is unethical and a tale, it's a tale as old as time. That's a tub subject for another, another time, but in this case, you don't know how much he's making as a base salary. It could be $20,000, could be one or two, three million dollars. You really don't know. And in terms of a copy paste and where AI is going to take over jobs, this show is perfect for AI. She-Hulk goes into a courtroom, probably gets angry, but controls herself. And apparently, it's just her going on dates, going to the courtroom. It, an average life who has to be a super, it, superhero? I mean, they just take that one episode, just copy-paste 20 times. I just wrote a whole season. So time shall tell, as this strike keeps going on in Hollywood, I think you're going to see a lot of producers, a lot of the executives go, you know, how much do we really need this person? Also, Disney's losing billions of dollars, and Bob Iger, his goal is to actually cut about $5.5 billion in cost, including production cost. How much does it make sense to make, uh, make this content that doesn't make a profit? Time shall tell, but I would say uh, for the for the She-Hulk, the outlook is not so good. Again, doing something original probably would have helped. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, you have California kneecapping Uber. Now, specifically, this is the California State Supreme Court. They unanimously ruled that Uber Eats worker can sue the ride-hailing and delivery business on behalf of a group of workers, even though he signed a contract agreeing that disputes must go through arbitration. This is going to hurt him pretty bad. So arbitration is a nice fancy way of saying instead of two uh, groups of people going to court, spending an ungodly amount of legal fees, you have attorney's fees, that can be dragged out for years. Instead, you have a third party arbiter, hence the term arbitration. You have a third party come in, you sit down, you talk about your sides, and that third independent party is supposed to somewhat act as a judge. Rudimentary speaking, that's how it's supposed to work. And it's done especially because, again, the cost of going to court is huge and class action lawsuits can take years. Also not great for PR. Now, these two groups of people came together. You had the employer, Uber, Uber Eats, and you had the independent contractor come forward, say, hey, here's our terms and conditions. If you would like to have the privilege of working with us, you could sign it or not. No one is forcing you. You're an at-will employee. You can, do, you can come and go as you please. You're an independent contractor. They came together, they wrote a contract, they signed the contract, and now California is just going to burn that contract, just tear it in half. Now, this also came from a specific case. We have Eric Adolf. Adolf. He sued Uber back in 2019, arguing that it misclassified workers as quote-unquote independent contractors instead of employees, and therefore not following the state's law on work expenses. And also, Uber workers expressed concern that the decision could increase meritless lawsuits against employee, employers while critics say the mandatory arbitration discourages workers from bringing forth individual claims. This is, I don't know if it'll bankrupt Uber, but it might just, it very, very well might make it prohibitively expensive to operate or even work in that state in particular. Uber Eats actually just successfully sued New York, where New York wanted to have the average minimum wage for delivery worker at like $17.58, a crazy amount of money, which of course, the adoption of how many people would pay, you know, what is it? What does that turn that burger into? A $5, $10? Who, 
that cost is going to pass on the consumer and the number of consumers that are going to click that buy button is going to decrease. That's traditional, you know, increase the cost, traditionally decrease demand. And they're able to actually put that law on hold in New York or New York City specifically, I believe. And now California is going after them. Uber's in a lot of trouble with all these issues popping up. And it's one of those things where they're saying they misclassified independent contractors as employees. They didn't. Read any dictionary and just see the difference between an independent contractor and employee. Independent contractors, there's a lot of upside to that. They can decide when they work, where they work, how they, they can decide how they get the job done. There's a lot of creativity and flexibility in that. That's the whole reason those apps exist. The only way Lyft, Uber, all those other apps can possibly in any way make a profit or even exist is to have them as independent contractors. If they're full-time employees, not only is that kind of defeat the purpose, because the purpose is you could work whenever you want. It's, some people use it to augment their income. Some people do it full-time. If they're employees, they have to clock in. They don't get to decide how they do their job. They have to do it how the company tells them to do. They also increase taxes, increase the cost. There's a lot of downsides to that. And depending on the situation, the industry, some make more sense than others. But they're just in a lot of trouble. And I don't see, it seems like the government, it seems like there's more and more scrutiny on Uber and they've barely made a profit throughout the years. I believe one or two quarters they've made a profit and they've been in business for quite some time. How long could they possibly keep up this, all these legal battles? Will they ever truly be a long-term profitable company? We'll see, but I, you know, I say time shall tell. Now, other interesting political news, you have the US government saying they will stop spam calls, which is almost as moronic as a politician saying that they'll cure cancer because, well, cancer actually would probably be more quantifiably easy relative to the, cold, to, to the robot calls. It's one of those things where they're promising they're gonna fix a problem that is inconceivable to solve given the resources and the global issue that is robot calling. Now, they claim that more than 33 million robots uh, scam robot calls are made to Americans daily. This is according to the National Consumer Labor Center and Electronic Privacy Information Center. They also went on to note that nearly $30 billion were stolen from Americans through scam calls in 2021. Now, that is certainly true. It is a huge issue, and it is disgusting that those scammers make a penny of profit, especially when they prey on the old, the elderly, and people who are easily confused. It's utterly disgusting. I find them... Those companies have a lack of morals and disgustingly, I find them abhorrent. They shouldn't be allowed to exist. I don't know, however, how you're gonna call, how you're gonna solve that on a global, on a global scale. Now, the FTC also claims it handled 176 cases in which they added, quote, won't stop until the companies that violate the FTC Act and telemarketing sales rule hung up once and for all. And, and it's one of those things where if you have someone in, let's say, Iowa, there's a company in Iowa doing robot calls. There isn't, but for this example, we will. That's pretty easy to regulate, generally speaking, because the government, they're right, you could see them, they're right in the cornfield. They're right between the corn and the Iowa Hawkeyes. What else is it known for? Yeah, those great things. hy V. that's not a thing. I'd, I'm proud Iowan, so don't get too bent out of shape. If you're from Iowa, I especially appreciate you taking time to tune in. Now, it's one of those instances where that's pretty easy to control, you know, they're right next door. But a lot of these robot scam calls, they're coming from other countries. And that's a whole YouTube community in and of itself where we actually have YouTubers successfully hack the scammers and reveal where they are and what they're doing, which is quite entertaining and 
is nice to see a little bit of a little bit of justice although of course they're not actually getting money back from the scammers but annoying and frustrating them that's a little bit moderately entertaining but how is the u.s government going to go after those companies internationally especially when those companies pop up and they can start up and divest overnight especially at this time politically speaking there's not there's not a lot of collaboration globally speaking the political relationships between countries is i would say at an all-time low especially when you look at u.s and china india you have the U.S. Treasury bird, I mean, uh, Janet Yellen. She's going over there and trying to make things better, but seemingly just shooting herself in the foot as, of course, the U.S. breaks all the promises and just prints more money than ever before. And that's no issue in and of itself as other countries are moving away from U.S. currency. That should be concerning to every American because one of the reasons our money is worth anything at all is because it's the international dollar. It's if, country, if another country has to buy oil, they have to trade their real money for our paper fiat currency. That's no longer the case in many countries, and that's increasing. But when it comes to, I don't think this country is going to cooperate with us. If we say, hey, you, we have someone here call up someone maybe in India, and they go, hey, we see this IP address. We see this. these scammers are calling from this building at this location. Will you do something about it? I don't know if they would these days. In the past, perhaps they would when the relationships globally were a little bit better. But how the government is actually going to do this? I don't think they can, and I also don't think they will. Partially just think they're doing it just for political, not showboating, but virtue signaling, saying, hey, we can do something, but I, I really don't think they can. But who knows? Maybe they'll prove me wrong. I doubt it, but we'll see. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have McDonald's having to pay $800,000 because their chicken nuggets were too hot. Does that sound ridiculous? Of course it does, because it is. Now, it looks like a Florida jury awarded an eight-year-old girl $800,000 because she got second-degree second burns from McDonald's Chicken Nugget four years ago. Now, what was the parent doing? Oh, we'll dive in right now. Now, it looks like a McDonald's worker handed over a little carton thing of McNuggets to the parent, and the parent, it's a nice way to say moronically, well, they just, they gave it to the kid, and the kid opened it, the chicken nugget got stuck between the kid's leg and the car. And the whole, they're, they're saying, well, they, they didn't warn us it was hot. Now, this is also coming from, why are rewinding black and talking about the legal precedence of this? In May, a separate jury found that the fast food company and the franchise of were at fault for the scathing hot chicken nugget that burned the, the leg of Olivia Carbolano, who was actually four at the time, so the parents even dumber than we thought or irresponsible, whatever nice term you want to use. And it's because she opened the happy meal in the car. And after hours of deliberation, the Brown Board County juror, grand juror announced the dollar amount. And the family actually originally wanted $15 million. I'm sorry, but this parent is a moron. This, I, I can't think of a nice way of saying this. How irresponsible are you as a parent to give a four-year-old a, a case of chicken nuggets and their, their claim is McDonald's didn't say it was hot. They didn't warn us it was hot. Now, don't get me wrong. I feel terrible for that little girl. She is innocent. The parent is a irresponsible, I almost want to say morally vacuous person. I'm trying to think of a nice way. Something that's a little bit more severe than just irresponsible. Because if a child is four years old, you don't just, throw, you don't just give them a thing of hot food. And chicken nuggets, they're going to be hot. It's fresh out of the microwave, although maybe they actually cook them there. I don't know. I don't eat at McDonald's. But in this case, I cannot believe a jury 
actually awarded that much money. And again, it is terrible this happened. I feel really bad for the little girl. I'm surprised, why isn't the parent being sued? The girl should sue the parent, get even more money. Because again, the parent handed it to the child. I, I don't know how, I think that maybe that will be, maybe that will be the next one. Now, it looks like the lawyers from the franchise of McDonald's and McDonald's, they argued that the chicken nugget could not have been more than 160 degrees and that the temperature of the McDonald's was cooked to avoid salmonella poisoning and not meant to be pressed against human flesh for one two minutes, which, of course, is not designed to have someone stick it on their leg and hold it for two minutes. Again, how, as a parent, how do you not realize your kid is in pain for two minutes? The amount of irresponsibility just precipitously just keeps going up the more I read about this story. And the, the party I see most at fault is the parent. And again, you already have lawyers where they have all that fine writing and every piece of container possible from the coffee to the container itself. It says, oh yeah, very, very hot. Because guess what? Food is usually hot. That's how fast food usually works. With the exception of McDonald's ice cream, but because those machines never work, that's really not pertinent to this conversation. I digress. But I don't know what McDonald's needs to do. Maybe they need to have a loudspeaker, and every time you open this little window, it just says, food is hot. As as much as a joke that's, as that sounds, that might be the resolution to this. And that way, no employee can make the mistake of not warning them for the opportunity time. Yes, food is hot. Thank you for ordering food. But we'll see. In this case, the business blunder, perhaps it's a parental blunder. Oh, I'm saying it's parental blunder, but in terms of business blunder, McDonald's paying that out, and I don't know why they're not, maybe they'll try to fight that again, have another court overturn it, but give McDonald's revenue, they'll just try to write it off as a loss or write it off. So it's a minuscule amount of money to their revenue, to their overall value as a company, their overall yearly revenue. But I guess to not have that extra little speaker outside that says food is hot, that's perhaps that's McDonald's business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in. I really appreciate it. We're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of July, so I especially appreciate you taking time to click that button and subscribe. If you already have, I also really appreciate when you take the time to share the video and comment. It seems like those things especially help the channel get more views and more comments. It'll help us grow together. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone to stay safe and fight the good fight.